0: Welcome to Sojourn. Encourage you guys if you have a Bible to open up to Genesis chapter one. We're going to do what saints have done for years and years. As we gather together, we're going to open up the Word of God, the inspired, authoritative word. Genesis chapter one, we've been working through Genesis. This is week three. We will start in verse twenty six. Hear the word of the Lord. Genesis one, verse twenty six. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Would You open up our eyes so we may see wondrous truths here. Help us to know who we are in light of who You are. And may the greatness and the glory we see in You show us the greatness and the glory of what it means to be made in Your image. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. One author has said that the most powerful of all spiritual forces is man's view of himself. The way in which he understands his nature and his destiny, indeed it is the one force which determines all the others which influence human life. Your view of yourself, if you indeed came in here human, your view of yourself matters greatly. And the question of who is man is hard to overstate. Our answer to the question of of who is man, knowingly or unknowingly, shapes So much of our lives, it determines and touches every part of our lives. And it's hard to overstate what's at stake in our view of who is man. It matters if we came from some primordial soup or if we were from the mud off of a turtle's back or if we came from some lightning bolts, all of those things matter when we're answering this question of who is man. And the Bible gives us a unique accounts and a unique answer to who is man that should be formative to our lives. You see, what happens in the Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 is that God not only makes us, but He tells us about it. He not only makes everything, but He tells us about those things. That in and of itself shows us the grace and the goodness of God that He's inviting us into life with Him. That He's inviting us to know Him. Because He doesn't just want us to see these things, He wants us to know why they're there. He wants us to know the one behind it. And so He makes man, He creates humanity... And He doesn't just make us. He also tells us who we are. He gives us an answer to who is man. Because He wants us to know. Because He wants to have life with us. And here's what God says. He says, "And a sense, from, from Genesis chapter 1, this is the crown of creation. And as the crown of creation, man was made, very simply put, in the image of God. Man was made as the crown of creation, as the image of God. Now I think it's important that we remember where we came from. Now you, you know that we've only been in Genesis three weeks. So you're like, what context could we be caught up on? But here's what's important here. We need to know that so far, here's what we've seen. We've seen God and we've seen God creating. And this is important because what we've seen in creation is and we've seen it starts with God. And that we're not meant to just see creation and wonder at that. We're meant to wonder and, and, and be in awe of the God who created it. And that's important when we come to man because we're, we're meant to start with God. We're meant to see God as eternal, as independent, as powerful, as good, as wise, as all-knowing, as the one who is eternal, who is always there, who needs nothing. We're meant to see this God before we move forward. But once we do see this God, once we understand Him as the sovereign creator of the universe, only then should we move on to our origins. Because indeed, our origins as man are only rightly found in God. So we've seen theologians say this in many different ways. One says that our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Another one has said that without the knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of ourself. And here's one on the screen for you. that The Scripture is concerned with man and his relation with God, in which he can never be seen as man in himself. You are never meant to see yourself as a man apart from your Creator God. You are not meant to create this view of yourself that is separated from who God is. And so we need to rightly remember where we've come from. That we've seen God, who He is, what He's like, before we get to man and what we are and what we like. Because all of humanity finds their origins rightly in God. So to see ourselves rightly, then, we must see God rightly. And if we do not see God rightly, we will never see ourselves rightly says to know God is, is the knowledge of self. There's no, without the knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of the self. But when we see God rightly, when we see who He is, when we see what He has done, even in these short number of verses here right now, what follows, and when He talks about man, should blow our minds should be even more incredible to us than it has before. So on the sixth day of creation, God continues creating by making human life. It says in verse 26, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. This is the crown of creation here, the creation of man. And the author wants to make sure that readers are clued in that this is the climax of the creation account. This is the climax of the story. He'll actually hit it again in chapter 2. So we'll see this again, he'll he'll make sure that we know this is climax. but something special is happening, starting in verse 26 through the end of chapter 1. Something unique, something special and important is going on here. This is the last day of creation, so in a sense, everything has been building up into this point. This is the crowning moment. In, in, In the last day of creation, way more words are used than any other day of creation. This is, once again, putting importance and significance on this last day. Beyond that, he goes from let there be in the other days of creation to what does he say here? Let us. He moves from let there be to let us. It's a much more personal account, a much more personal interaction with what is going on here. There's something different. There's something special that's being clued in to us. Now, the question then would become, well, who's this let us that God is speaking about? And there's a couple different uh, teachings on this that I think are, are fair. One of them is that this is Trinitarian dialogue. That God in in, in His fullness, in His His Trinitarian fullness with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is is kind of having this dialogue and saying, let's make man in our image, the image of of God. The three of us, let's make man in our image. Now I think that's entirely plausible and and indeed there's probably hints of that no matter what we want to say. But I'm not sure that that's the exact intent of the author. Because I think that that requires these these Israelites some knowledge that they, they wouldn't have had in full at that time. It requires kind of a reading of the rest of the scripture that, that for these people that are getting ready to go into the promised land wouldn't have had. They wouldn't have been able to fill that in correctly. Although that's, that's surely hinted at in some ways. I'm not sure that's exactly what the author would mean for us to get out of it. So another interpretation is that this let us is, is God addressing his heavenly court. Full of, of angels. Now I think that there are some things that help this. That culturally around the Israelites at the time... Both kind of ancient Canaan and ancient Mesopotamian cultures would depict something like this. This pantheon of gods that were alone, like they were in their council making decisions and creating and doing these kind of things. So it would have been something in their minds. They would have understood this this heavenly court.
1: And again, Genesis
0: is is starting to show the people of Israel why they are different and unique and distinct. And why their God is different and unique and distinct. And so it seems like maybe Genesis is once again putting up the, the other cultures versus what has really happened with the true account of creation. So there would have been something like that in their minds when they hear, let us. They would have thought maybe of something like that. Beyond that we have Psalm 82. Verse 1, that says, God has taken His place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. So we see divine courts in other places of Scripture. This is something that was familiar in the Old Testament. You think of Job chapter 1. Satan appears before God. There's, there's some sort of a, a heavenly assembly, a divine assembly that Job appears before. You see this in Isaiah chapter 6, when, when Isaiah sees the Lord seen on the throne. There's seraphim, there's, there's heavenly court all around God. And so it seems like a, a natural almost translation that it would be, or interpretation that this would be this heavenly court. Now we wouldn't die for these kind of things once again, but, but it gives us maybe to why we, he would say let us here. I think that it, it acknowledges that there is some sort of angelic beings going on here. So there's an existence of that that we don't see an account of in creation. We don't see them created. And it also does this, it rejects all authority but God. Now, at first, it may not seem like that, right? God is saying, let us. Is he, is he trying to like propose something to them? What's He trying to do here? But here's what happens. God proposes to the court, but who executes this? See, it switches from the let us, kind of the plural form, back to singular. So God created man. Goes back to God alone is the one who is executing this. There are singular verbs. And so what is going on here is that God has announced to His court, let's make man in our image, and then He alone is the one who executes it. He alone is the one who is the powerful one. He alone is the sovereign creator, the father of all creation. There's no pantheon of gods that is doing this. It is God alone who is doing this. He's separate from all other gods. But once again, it's a signal that something special is happening here. It doesn't say let there be anymore. It says let us. Something unique is going on. And he says this, let us make. And that word make once again takes us back to this verb that is only used with God. It's used in verse 1, where God creates out of nothing. It's used in verse 21, where God creates organic life. And it's used here for the third time when God creates human life. And it's signaling to us that God alone is the creating agent. That He alone is the one who is working here. That He alone is doing this creating. And there's something unique and special is happening here. That this isn't just another animal. It's not another creature And there's no natural bridge you can get from creature to here. God is uniquely creating this thing. Indeed, this is human life. And in all these ways, the author is cluing us in that this is something significant. Something unique is going on in this sixth day in these verses. Now, just considering the verse that we've looked at alone, what a a huge difference we get from, from the creation account we get in Genesis to all these other places. So the creation of man, where God alone and uniquely is working and creating to these other creation accounts that we've seen. Humanity from other accounts comes from blood, death. Chaos, All sorts of crazy ideas, this pantheon of gods maybe. But here we see God much more decisive, much more intentional than any of the ancient or even modern traditions would have us think. That God alone is acting. That He is intensely personal here in this creating. So man is not the result of some heavenly battle. He's not the result of some deliberation of some divine assembly. Or maybe even a little more current, man is not the result of some purposeless or natural process where man wasn't in mind, it just sort of happened. God is much more decisive than that in creating humanity, in creating man. Here God is signaling to us that something significant is going on here and that man is the crown of all this creation. That man is the one who is the climax to all that God has done. Now, I've heard that Michelangelo, the famous artist who painted the Sistine Chapel, I heard that, that he made all of his brushes with his hands, his own hands. He, he formed and fashioned his own brushes. I could not verify that, so don't take that as fact. But I'm going to assume that it's true, that he, that he does this. Like, think of the idea that this master artist, this genius artist is forming and fashioning the things that he would use to create beauty and to do exactly what he wanted them to do. This is kind of the picture of what God is doing here that He is specially and specifically making something in His own image to use them to represent Him on earth, to perfectly carry out what He would want them to do on the earth. And we see that going on in in the rest of 26 and 27. He says, let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So other creatures were created according to their kind, says in the other days of creation. But man was created not according to his kind, but in the image of God. So humans are, are this unique workmanship that God has formed and fashioned. He's finely and intricately and wonderfully and full of wisdom made and formed man, fashioned man. And so at least part of what we talk about when we're talking about the image of God is there's this reality that there's something special about being human. There's some sort of special relationship, some sort of special position that comes with that that isn't with any of the other parts of creation or any other creature. And we see that He created man in His own image. Now ladies, don't get upset. Verse 26, speaking kind of generically, when He says He created man in His own image, He's speaking of humankind. But in case we missed it, and sometimes we do, in 27 He says it again that we wouldn't miss it, that He created them male and female, that we would be reminded that both male and female are created in the image of God. God created this way, He approved of it this way, that there are two genders, and both of these genders bear the image of God. This is increasingly important in our day where we would be slanting on one side or the other of this stuff that is going on, but God created two genders, male and female, and that both of them are equal image bearers in the sight of God. It's His design, and it's been His design from the beginning. So humankind, all humankind, is unique in all creation as all are image bearers. All. Male and female. No matter what background you come from. No matter what color your skin No matter how much wealth you have or do not have... All of us bear the image of God. Now in the ancient northeast this wasn't true. They, They thought that only the king was the image bearer. And so there's this ancient document... This Assyrian document that would say... That the king is the image of God... That the free man is reflecting the king... And the slave reflects the free man. And here this is written to a bunch of former slaves... Maybe that would have been what they were thinking. And here the scripture comes in and informs them. No, 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 wait a second. It's not just kings that are made in the image of God. It is all of creation, all of humankind, all these people, they're made in the image of God. Do you see the hierarchy that existed in ancient accounts? King, then free man, then slave. Well, in the scripture, that's all overturned. When we see that all humanity is made in the image of God. And aren't we thankful for that? Aren't we thankful that we don't have to be a king to be in the image of God? God bestows this on all humanity male, female, young, old, Asian, Canadian. It really doesn't matter if you are a human, you are an image bearer. You bear the image of the God that we've been talking about in all creation, who's spoken and things have happened, who didn't have a beginning. ...who has been this powerful, wise God... ...enough to come up with all of creation... ...you're made in His image. And this should show us alone... ...the value... ...the the dignity... the, ...the honor... ...that God puts on humanity... ...that God puts on humankind. And so humans aren't to be treated like just another creature. Humans aren't to be acted upon like another creature... This is unique. Something special is happening here. And it's not just our desires that something special happen to us. This is God who is communicating this. He wants us to know this. He wants us to realize that this is what's going on. So Christians, we out of all people, ought to be captured by this very reality. This very truth that all are created in the image of God and this should drive us to great action. We've seen this from Christians in history. William Carey is the father of modern missions is what he's called. He goes to India and he spends his life he, many, many years. And one of the things he's doing, other than preaching and proclaiming the gospel, is he's working against the oppression of women in that culture. Which one of their practices was the burning of widows. He did more on top of that, but he works to go against this knowing that people are creating the image of God. That male and female God created them. You might have heard of William Wilberforce, this, this man that's in the Parliament of Great Britain, who worked for over ten years to abolish slave trade because he realized that people are created in the image of God. He works for more, more than that, almost double the time, to abolish slavery completely in Great Britain because he understood that man and woman, no matter your colors, made in the image of God. You might have heard of the Moravian Christians, known for their their bravery and their assault on the kingdom of darkness by sending people out all over the globe to proclaim the gospel. Well, they go out, and this is in South Africa, and they, they go to a place where there's, there's an encampment that they can't enter into, and well, the problem is is that the encampment is an encampment of lepers. And so they decide, we want to preach the gospel there, so we'll go in there. And they go in there so that they can proclaim the gospel, because people are made in the image of God. They also sold themselves into slavery because they knew that those slaves are made in the image of God. And we're going to get to them, and the way to get to them is to sell ourselves into slavery as well. Being made in the image of God and knowing that all people are made in the image of God is why we care for people. This is why we care for the poor. Because we see them not necessarily as poor, but as an image bearer. This is why we care for for children with special needs. Because they bear the image of the living God. This is why James tells us to take up the, the case of the orphan and the widow. Because they're not to be pushed to the margins of society in Christian life. For Christianity, they're image bearers just like anyone else. This is why we detest abortion. Because we realize that if it's human, that it's an image bearer, and that that matters immensely. This is why we fight sex trafficking. Because this is unjust things that are happening to people that would bear the image of the one true living God. We know that all humankind bear this same image it's God's image. And that is more meaningful than we even realize, I think. I had a professor that, that prayed this. He prayed that his, his, children's, his children would, would see the sanctity of, of human life Sunday, which you may have heard of. It happens every year, I think it's in January. The sanctity of human life Sunday, where we just stand up and say, like, all of human life deserves honor and dignity. But he he prayed that the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday would seem as unnecessary as the reality of Gravity Emphasis Sunday. That we we don't need to have a Sunday that that reminds us that gravity is real. We're still walking on the ground. And may that be true as well of Sanctity of Human Life. We realize that that, that that is unnecessary to have as believers because we understand that everybody is created in the image of God. And so it would seem kind of redundant, indeed unnecessary, to remind us all that we're all made in the image of God. And that we need to stand up for all of those who are made in the image of God. That we need to be reminded of this dignity and position and uniqueness of humanity as as image bearers shows us of the present darkness. And reminds us that we have work to do. And not to drive us to action. And from the beginning, God would communicate to all of us, all of humanity, that there is a special relationship between God and man. Because God created and man is created in His image. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does that mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? In the image of of God, and He says, "Image and likeness." So, I think it's first helpful to just think through the, this image and likeness that those are our synonyms. So, we're not separating those out and saying that these are two very unique and distinct things. So you look in verse twenty-seven. It said in verse twenty-six, "Let us make man in our image and after our likeness." But in verse twenty-seven, He says, it "Just says, let us make man in our image." So, is He cutting something out? No, we don't think He's cutting something out. He's, he's kind of speaking about the same thing when He uses those. So if you look in chapter five, verse one. We'll get there later in our our series. But he says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So there he has likeness and no image. Before he had image and no likeness in 26. He said image and likeness. So what's going on here in chapter 5 verse 3? When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered son after his own likeness, after his image. So once again, these are are used synonymously. We're not not meant to see something different in being in the likeness of God and being in the image of God. We're we're to see these kind of synonymously. And in some sense, when we talk about what it means to be made in the image of God, we're talking about a mystery. We cannot fully understand. This is a mysterious reality that we're made in the image of God. But we still know it and we still can know something about it. So... uh, I look at it this way, I think this is helpful, that what it means to be made in the image of God at least means to resemble God and to represent God. So when we think about statues, like maybe Michelangelo, he he chiseled out a statue. Statues are meant to resemble the the physical presence of of someone else. So Michelangelo creates this famous David statue. That's meant to, I guess in his own interpretation, resemble David. David. It's meant to look like Him. Of course, it's bigger than Him, I think, but... It's meant to, in some way, represent Him. To to look like Him. We are meant to resemble God. Image bearers, we are in His likeness. Now, this isn't like we, we put a mirror in front of God and He looks like us. That's not what's going on here. That's not the exact resembling that it seems to be going on here. We resemble God more through this inner nature, our inner lives, and our character. Think about this, we have a personality, we have a will, we have knowledge, we have feelings, we, we communicate. All of these are ways that we resemble our Creator. We resemble who He is in our inner lives. And doesn't this tell us a lot about who God is too? That we, we kind of outwardly can't all collectively fully image God. So each of us is unique and different, we speak and we look differently. We're we're different genders. We're different nationalities. All these things come together and we can't really kind of fully represent the the greatness and the glory and the image of who God is, even with the fullness of humanity. But in some ways, even us, little one person is made to resemble God with his inner life, with who he is, with how he communicates, and how he acts and how he has his personality and knowledge and will and desires. All these things come from the image of God that's in us. But part of this means that we're made to live in relationship, especially relationship with God. And in resembling Him, we're made to live lives with other people. And God existed eternally in in this relationship with Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's this community aspect to God from the beginning, from before the beginning. And we're made to resemble that in our lives as well. That there's this special relationship with other people that we're created for. Beyond that, we're created for a relationship with God. We are made, you are made to know and have communion with the God who created you. This is why we would say that you will never be satisfied in life until you know God. Because that was what you were made for. You were made to know God. You are made to, to love God, to respond back to God, to reflect God, to resemble God. And so you will not fully be satisfied in life... Until you do. One author said that there's this infinite abyss that can be filled. Only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words. By God himself. There's a God shaped hole in all of us. the song goes. This is what it's getting at. You are made to know God. You will not live as you were intended and designed to live. If you do not know this God. And in God communicating that to us, He's inviting us to know Him. He doesn't just want us to know we're made in His image. He wants us to know that we're made to know Him. And this is why He speaks to us. This is why He tells us what's going on. This is an invitation to us to come to Him, to have a relationship with Him. So we are made to resemble God, but we're also made to represent God. So image bearers represent God as, as creatures that have dominion. You see this in, in 28 through 30. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. God has given us this representation role. And it's this royal status. It's not just a a humdrum status. We have been given royal status. We are to rule. That's part of what we're doing. We're representing God. Now, once again, in the ancient Northeast, what they would do is rulers would set up their image, maybe a statue of some sort, in distant parts of their kingdom. Why did they do that? To remind those people that they have a ruler and it is not them. Right? They, were, they were setting up their rule all over. They were indicating, I have authority here, even though I'm not physically here. God has made us our representation kind of like that, that He is setting us up to represent Him here, saying that I have authority here. Through these people, we are representing God. And as image bearers of God, we have this kingly function to represent Him. To rule as He would rule. Now, before we kind of get into what this means to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, I think that it's important to note that the definition of an image bearer is is not a functional one. And that will seem more obvious when we get to procreation. That is to say that if you cannot procreate, or if you're single, you're not locked out from bearing the image of God like you are meant to. That these functions of bearing the image of God are consequences. They're not part of the definition. That makes sense. That all humans are image bearers. It's part of our nature and being, not just part of our doing. Although it is part of our doing as well. So being fruitful and holding dominion are consequences not defining what it is that the image of God is inside of us. Does that make sense? That humans carry out this this kingly function. We carry it out a certain way, but if we're not carrying out that way rightly, if we're not procreating and holding dominion as we ought to, that doesn't make us any less a bearer of the image of God. So what does it entail, though? Humans carry out this representative role to the earth, and humans carry this out through this kingly function of being fruitful and having dominion. Being fruitful means spreading God's kingly rule through procreation. Spreading His kingly rule through... Procreation Through having sex. We carry this out by knowing our spouses. How good is God, right? right? We're carrying out His good design by knowing, in a biblical sense, our spouses. That'll come up in Genesis as well. But this is much, much bigger than just marriage. Like we, once again, are, are reminded that we are meant to live in relationship with others. That is, we're not just to keep this kingly rule and set us to ourselves and go run and hide. But we are to spread it out. That we are to live in relationship with other people. So we're to be fruitful and multiply. And we are to hold dominion. Hold dominion is, is ruling over creation. We are to be over as this authority over all of creation as God would do it. We're imitating and representing God's rule in our ruling over creation. Now that seems kind of hard when I think about ruling over lions and big beasts and creatures from the seas. But I like what Martin Luther, and he always has a way with words, but he says this, I'm fully convinced that before Adam's sin, which we'll talk about that in a few weeks, and we'll deal with how he messed all this up for us. Before Adam's sin, his eyes were so sharp and clear that they surpassed those of the lynx and the eagle. And he was stronger than the lions and the bears, whose strength is very great, and he handled them the way we handle puppies. (laughs) Now, I don't know that I'm as convinced as Luther, but it sounds really awesome, so let's just Say that that may have been God's intent, that we could handle lions like puppies and that we could see like eagles. That sounds really awesome. And this is in a way that we could hold dominion on the earth because we have lion strength and the eyes of an eagle and we will take out anything that would seek to destroy us in any sort of way. So we're not fearing lions. We're not fearing lynxes coming after us. We will, in advance of them, hold dominion over them. I don't know that that's exactly what was going on, but I think it's uh, worth noting. So what does it mean to hold dominion? It means to cultivate the land, to subdue it in a way, to, to mine the earth, to grow trees, to smoke meat. I think that's a big part of this. And if any of you, what well, we're doing it tonight, I think, is that, I don't know if it's officially smoking, but we will, we will hold dominion as we eat pulled pork together. Painting. Beautiful pictures, making beautiful music. We could go on and on. All of these things are part of holding dominion in the earth. When we work, we can be doing this holding dominion that God is talking about. When we mow the lawn, we are fashioning it and forming it the way that we think it needs to be. When we cook food and we take God's creation, we mold it and we make it. We're holding dominion as we are meant to. As we fulfill all of these things, we're fulfilling part of our human design. We're made for this. We're made for this kingly rule. We're made to cultivate the land and paint and smoke meat and eat it. Like, we're made for these things. This is how God created us. We're made to steward and to care for and to preserve creation as God would, as a reflection of of His rule on the earth. Now, that's a big role. That is a royal status. And we do all of these things as image bearers. And God didn't just say, good luck with that, even though now you're not as strong as a lion or can see like an eagle. Good luck with holding dominion. No, here's what God does in verse 28. He says, and God blessed them. God blessed them. This blessing is a a divine enabling. God is not just going to send us out to do something that we can't do. God is blessing them, giving them what they need. Giving humanity, giving us what we need to carry out how he's designed us to live. So royal status is given from a good creator to take care of His good creation as representatives of His good and kingly rule. What a reality. This is who you are. This is what you were made for. What a thought that God would bestow on us His image. That He would extend His rule through us. That He would bless us in this venture. I think that we're made to look at all of creation and come to the same conclusion at the end as the author and God does. When we see in verse 31 that God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. Very, very good. God looks at everything. He he kind of examines it in some sense. He's he's giving a, a judgment of what's going on here. The atmosphere, how he's finely tuned it, where not too much heat gets in or gets away, to where we get enough light but we don't burn up, all these kind of things that he's fine tuned. He looks at the, the coral reef that he's created, he looks at the elk jumping on the mountains, he, he looks at the apple tree, and he looks at man, and he says, Behold, it is it is very, very good. Very good. He evaluates. His conclusion is delight. This is very good. I remember when we had our first child. It's a process, right, leading up to this, especially the first one. Everything is new, everything is hard. Every, I mean, but that crowning moment when the, the baby is born, is just an overwhelming, overwhelming thing. It's hard to like kind of put it into words, all that you feel and think and, and can realize at that moment. But here's what I do remember more than more than most things, is there was just so much delight. Amazement. The... the there's a, a child now. And if you've had a kid, you, you understand that, that feeling. And this is kind of what God is doing here. The crowning moment of creation is coming, and, and He looks at it, and there's just, there's delight. There's joy. This is very good, He says. God delights in His design of all of creation. He doesn't say, you know, whoops, I messed up over there. I'm trying to get that corrected later on. Oh man, this is a little bit, no, it's very, Very good. Crowned with the creation of humanity. It is very good. Humans made in the image of God. He made us for relation with Him as He is the Father of all creation, eternal, independent, powerful, Good. He made us for relation with other image bearers as we multiply and fill the earth, as we live in relationship with other people through spreading his kingdom rule. He made us for relation with his creation, as we're given this royal status to hold dominion, and he says, This is very good. So as we consider and continue and consider the the greatness of God, the magnitude of creation, and the crowning moment of creating man and the nature of man, I think that we should be able to come to the same conclusion and even sing out loud with the psalmist as he reflects on this very passage. Psalm chapter 8, it seems as if the psalmist looks back at this Genesis account and here's what he says, starting in verse 3. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers... O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. God eternal, God all-powerful, God all-knowing, God all-creative and imaginative, God who would have us rule and bear His image. This God of all creation is mindful of us. He cares for us. He created us and gave us His image to bear on this earth. And our response in considering these things is to respond back to this creator. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. So who is man? And what is our nature? Where did we come from? What is our origins? It's a vital question for all of you who are human. Do you know who you are? The answer is found only rightly in God. And your heart will be restless until it finds that rest in Him. And the good news is that God wants us to know this. He's not trying to keep it hidden from us. The answer to the question of who is man will shape how we live our lives. It will shape how we interact Or don't interact with God. It will shape how we interact. Or don't interact with other people. It will shape how we interact. Or don't interact with His creation. It will touch every portion of our lives. And the answer given to us from Scripture here in Genesis chapter 1. Should surprise us. Should delight us. Should lead us to worship this God. Are you living according to your design? To who you really are. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth for making us and me in your very own image. Let us pray and praise this God who has done this. Father, we want to thank you for, first of all, being a God who is beyond our imagination, in that you are eternal and powerful and creative and independent, not needing anything, not contingent upon anything, and good. Very good, beyond good, that you would create good things and delight in it. You're the Father of all creation, and we want to praise your name for that. But wonder of wonders, you created man, and you made us in your image. God, that is beyond what we could have hoped for. If we're thinking as creatures, that we look at the stars and we look at all the the glory and the greatness in the sun and the stars and the planets just whirling around, and we think that is. Glorious, and yet we can see from the Scripture that we have a a name that's higher than stars, that You placed us just lower than the angels, that we are meant to be the crowning part of all of Your creation. God, help us to bear Your image well, and let it move us out to loving others who bear Your image. This is what image bearers do. They rightly look back to God and praise God They rightly look to others in love, and we rightly look to creation and rule in a way that would reflect your good, kingly rule. God, help us do it well, and be honored and glorified as we reflect on how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen.